And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, <laughs> when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl, my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. In this edition of Hollywood 360, we'll hear the conclusion to the Aldridge family, then Frank Sinatra stars as Rocky Fortunato in his radio series of adventure called Rocky Fortune. And with me, as always, to my right, my co-host, my sidekick, my, uh, my best pal, Lisa Wolf. What's well, up, Lisa? Thanks, Carl. Glad to be here. You know, you and Mike are my best pals. You well, know that? otherwise, who would hang out with you? You know, I mean, nobody, really. I mean, <laughs> I have to, uh, my best friends Your have kids. to be the two people that work with me because we sort of have most. to hang out with me. You're stuck. This show takes so much of my time. I have no time to have friends. That's it's very true. sad. That must be the reason. I, have a, I live a very sad, lonely life. Yeah, we, we do. Mike and I do feel a little sorry yeah. for you. So, so I think you should send, nice me, to you. <laughs> send me money and send me food. Yes. Lisa, send me you know, I I'm, I'm I do send you food. Yeah, <laughs> once in a while you do send me food. I appreciate send that. Food over. What's happening in the world of Hollywood before we tune into yes, the Aldridge family? The very big news of the week: there is an American icon who is a female singer right. who is going on her first tour in 25 years. Whoa! She is 70 years old. Who is she? Maybe Barbara Streisand. Oh, that's a good guess, but not the right one. I'll give you oh, really? one hint here. Okay. She's from Tennessee. Oh, Dolly Parton? Yes. Wow. So she's going to do this 60 city tour this she's year. She's 70. She's 70 years Gosh, old. She is I, one hot 70 year old. I'll tell you, I was watching her speak about this tour and she is ageless. She she's looks exactly gorgeous. the same as always. Man. Um, of course, she has spanned six decades in her career, which is wow. unbelievable. Her tour. That and all that spans six decades. Right. Her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, her tour is called Pure and Simple. Right. Um, so that, that's her, her thing. She wants yeah. it to be, you know, kind of downscaled uh-huh. and, um, undertoned and, you know, not all the hoopla, but right. pure and simple. Right. And, um, her last album, which was called Blue Smoke, was released in 2014, which was her high, highest charting solo album ever. Hmm. She will also be releasing a double disc album, which it's will a double co- disc? A double disc? Yeah, double disc. Gotta say it really that, fast. That makes sense for her to release a double disc. Okay. I'm going to leave the jokes aside and it will coincide with her two. Tour. Yeah. And um, we're excited. She has a TV film coming up as well called What's Her Most Famous Song? I think um, this would be I it. I don't know. 
Jolene. Oh, Jolene. Right. Jolene. There Jolene. we go. I knew you were going to start singing. So she will be in a TV film called Jolene. Jolene coming yeah. up this year. So right. she is really hot I right like now. I like Dolly Parton. Everybody she's, loves Dolly Parton. I mean, Parton. she's awesome. Well, we wish her the best. You bet. Let's have her on the show. We'll talk about her. Yes. Tour. Mike, can you work that yeah, out for us? Mike will get that. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll make that happen. All right, okay, very thank good. You. All right, let's get back now to this. We, uh, we tuned into the first portion of the Aldridge family in our last hour. Let's go back to January. January 6, 1949, Ezra Stone stars as Henry Aldridge, Jackie Kelk as Homer Brown, and Cousin Lionel on The Aldridge Family. And now the Jell-O Family presents... Henry! Henry Aldridge! Coming, Mother! Yes, it's The Aldridge Family, based on characters originated by Clifford Goldsmith... And starring Ezra Stone as Henry, with Jackie Kelk as Homer. And now for The Aldridge Family. All the happenings in a typical day of a teenage boy can never be diagrammed. There aren't enough zigzag lines for that. You simply start a day with a boy like Henry Aldridge, cross your fingers, and hope for the best. The scene opens in the school cafeteria. It is noontime. Why don't you like Charlie Clark, Henry? Well, I like him, Nancy. I like him, but gee whiz, I thought we were going to have lunch alone. Well, I didn't invite him. He just happened to ask who I was eating with, and I said, just Henry. And my goodness, I couldn't be rude and tell him he wasn't welcome. I know, but gee whiz, he ruins my appetite. Henry, you've already had three sandwiches. Sure, but I'm forcing myself. Here you are, Nancy. Here's your milk. Oh, thank you, Charlie. Say, Hank, would you mind moving your chair a little? What for? Well, so I can slip mine in next to Nancy's. Now listen, Charlie Clark. But I just wanted her to take a bite of this sandwich. It's made from a can of patty de foie gras my Uncle Horace sent us. Patty what? Foie gras, foie gras, gee whiz. French chopped liver, Henry. Oh, foie gras. Boy, Charlie, do you speak a broken French... Is that your Uncle Horace Clark, who's in Congress? Sure, and the mayor of a French village gave him six cans of the stuff as a token of how his whole country felt toward my uncle. Gee, Nancy, did you ever hear a story like that in your life? Story? Listen, Henry, have you ever heard of Lewis and Clark? Who? Lewis and Clark, who practically discovered the rest of America. Listen, Charlie, are you trying to make us believe that that Clark was your relative, too? Figure it out for yourself, Henry. Figure it out for yourself. Hey, Henry! Oh, gee whiz, it's Willie. Henry, you have to get me out of a spot. Willie, can't you see I'm having lunch with Nancy? But all you have to do is tell Mr. Bradley I'm the wrong one to speak in assembly. Willie, you're speaking in assembly? Nancy, I'm just as shocked as you are. How did it happen? I volunteered. What? What? How did I know they only paid outside speakers? You expected to get paid? Sure, and if you ask me, they've got no right to discriminate just because I'm a minor. So, Henry, wouldn't you be willing to point out to Mr. Bradley that every time I open my mouth, I make a fool of myself? What makes you think he doesn't know already? (laughs) Willie, I can't possibly talk to Mr. Bradley now. But, Henry, if you really have to help Willie out, I don't mind finishing up with Charlie. What? Sure, run along. Oh, no, how rude do you think I am? But, Henry, I can't memorize. I'm sorry, Willie. Say, isn't Cynthia Harris related to Mr. Bradley? I think so. Hey, Cynthia! Willie, I thought you hated the way she popped her gum. I do, but right now I'm desperate. Hi, Cynthia, old kid. My goodness, poor Willie. 
Speaking of memorizing, did I ever tell you about my uncle who had a photographic memory? Listen, Charlie, who are you kidding? Kidding? Henry, did you ever hear of Socrates? I suppose he was a Clark, too. No, but my uncle memorized his complete works at one sitting. <laughs> Gee, Nancy, did you hear that? Henry, if Charlie said he did, the least we can do is believe him. Oh, that's okay, Nancy. He's just jealous. Jealous? Listen, Charlie, it might interest you to know that there were just as many famous Aldridges in history as there were Clarks. Oh, yeah? If not famouser. Name one. One? Well, that's okay. That's okay. They're there. You want to bet? Bet? Afraid? How much, Charlie? How much? Fifty dollars. Fifty? Why not make it a million? Okay. Okay, what? A million. It's a deal. Shake. 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 You're a witness, Nancy, and I'll match my Uncle Horace against any Aldrich you can dig up. Your Uncle Horace. Your Uncle Horace. My Uncle Horace. Did you know he delivered one of the longest filibusters on record? My goodness, he did. Well, all I can say is it certainly runs in the family. <laughs> Alice, where's Henry? Why, he went out right after dinner, Sam. Yes? He said there was something in the library he wanted to look up before they close. He went to the library? Yes, dear. Henry? Yes. My son? Yes, Sam. <laughs> and incidentally, did I tell you I got a letter from your cousin Alan's boy, Lionel? Really? How is he? Fine, and doing very well in his job. And he asked for some pictures of us. Father! My goodness, Henry's back from the library fast. He's probably getting used to it in small doses. <laughs> in here, Henry. Boy, Father, boy, you'd think they'd certainly have a book that's more complete. Who, dear? The library, Mother. Of famous people, the book they had didn't mention a single Aldridge. Dear, we Aldriches live very quietly. Excuse me, Sam, I'm going to drop a line to Lionel. Henry, what's this about famous Aldriches? Well, gee whiz. Charlie Clark's been bragging about his darn family, and, Father, I have to find a famous Aldridge or I'll lose my bet. Henry, what have I told you about betting? Gee whiz, I couldn't admit in front of Nancy that our entire family was nondescript, could I? Henry, our family's hardly that. Did... did you tell Charlie about your Uncle John? He did something? Your Uncle John won the milking championship of the entire state. He did? Hands down. But, <laughs> gee, Father, Charlie's Uncle Horace is in Congress. Weren't there any Aldridges who were more, more outstanding? Why, of course, there were many. There were, old boy. Who, Father? Well, who? there was, uh, there was, um... Yeah? Henry, it isn't important who your ancestors were, it's who you are. That's just it. Who are we? <laughs> what? Well, gee whiz, there isn't one of us worth talking about. Let me tell you something, Henry. I don't know Nancy. For all I know, she may be a very nice girl. But if she's only interested in you because of your ancestors, then I'd look at her again. I have, Father. Beg your pardon? And she's one of the prettiest girls in the whole school. And, Father, would you mind moving your feet so I could get at the encyclopedia? Hey, Henry! Boy, this is a fine time for Willie to show up. Henry, if he's back selling secondhand Christmas cards, I'm not interested. You know what, Henry? You know what? Cynthia Harris hasn't got a bit of influence with Mr. Bradley. Willie, what's that on your tie? Bubble gum, Mr. Aldridge. I just stood too close to Cynthia when she popped. <laughs> so now I'm stuck with the charge of the light brigade. The charge of the light brigade? That's what I have to recite in assembly. Here, Henry, hold the book while I see how much of the first stanza I've memorized. Willie, I can't. I'm going through Abbot Azzo. What? Abbot Azzo! Abbot Azzo! In the encyclopedia. Willie, don't you think you'd be happier if you memorized at home? I was doing that, but 
My father decided the acoustics were better over here. You don't say it. Mr. Aldridge, would you hold the book? Oh, Willie, I... I'd be willing to pay you for it, Mr. Aldridge. I don't need money that badly. It'll just take a second here. <clears throat> the Charge of the Light Brigade by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Carefully, carefully, carefully onward. How's that so far, Mr. Aldridge? It's perfect. It is? What comes next? Oh, the Valley of... Oh, Death. boy, Father, I found one. Cyrus Aldridge, 1810 to 1875, a well-known general in the Civil War. In the Civil War? Well... Oh, boy, excuse me. Where are you going, Henry? To phone somebody. Oh, in the Valley of what did you say, Mr. Aldridge? Death. Number, please. Elm, 424. Elm hey, Willie, could you bring that encyclopedia in here, please? But I'm tied up with your father. I can spare you. Hello? Hello, Nancy. This is Henry. Who? I can hardly hear you. Henry! Henry Aldridge! Oh, Henry, hold on a second while I see what I can do about all the noise here. Henry, here's your encyclopedia. Thanks, Willie. What else does it say about Cyrus Aldridge? Cyrus Aldridge, 1810 to 1875. A well-known general in the Civil War who gained notoriety at the Battle of Crooker's Creek when he fell off his horse and missed the ferry. What? <laughs> From then on, he was laughingly referred to as the general who missed the boat. Oh, Henry, you really want to tell Nancy about that? Hello. Why, hello, Nancy. I'd better go back. I left your father right in the middle of the Valley of Death. I couldn't hear you. Charlie was playing the piano so loud. Charlie was playing? Yes, a lovely song his aunt wrote. What did you want to tell me, Henry? Why, well, gee whiz, Nancy, when you come right down to it, it's not a person's... It, well, it, it's not who a person's ancestors were. It's who he is. What? Well, that is... I mean, well, if you can't take a person for a person, we certainly ought to look at each other again. Well, my... I didn't make any bets about who the Aldriches were. You did. Sure. And I'm certainly sorry you consider me that shallow. But... Goodbye. But, Nancy... Gee whiz. Henry, dear, may I have that snapshot of you on your dresser? My snapshot? Well, Mother, that's the one with my dog, Smoothie. Dear, Smoothie ran away three years ago. Sure. But suppose he comes back. (laughs) Well, how will he feel he finds out I gave away my only picture of him? Suppose I ask Lionel to send it back. Send it back? Is this Lionel reliable? Henry, he's your own father's cousin's boy. Mother, I've somehow lost confidence in our whole family. (laughs) Well, I think you can trust a man who works for the Royal Canadian Mounted. The Royal Canadian Mounted? Yes, dear. Those guys in the red coats who always bring back their man even if they die first? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there's one in our family? Yes. Oh, boy. Wait till I get my hands on Charlie Clark. What for? What for, Mother? What for? Gee whiz, he owes me a million dollars. And that's the Aldridge family from January 6, 1949, with Cousin Lionel starring Ezra Stone. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, let me see. 
This dear is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com and receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back to Hollywood 360. I'm Carl Amari, Lisa Wolf to my right, Mike Costella, our executive producer here as well. And uh, we play the best in classic radio for you every week. We play six classic radio shows here on Hollywood 360. And what we have for you now is a lot of fun. It's the very first episode in an adventure series that Frank Sinatra starred in back in the 1950s. And uh, it was a series called Rocky Fortune. He played a footloose and fancy-free young man who was always in search of employment and he worked for the Gridley Employment Agency. His name was Rocky Fortunato. And this is the very first episode in the series. He's sort of gotten a lot of jams and got his way out of it. It was sort of a, an amateur detective series as he was looking for work. Every week he was working at a different place. Here he is uh, shucking oysters on this program called The Oyster Shucker from October 6, 1953. Part one of Rocky Fortune. Frank Sinatra. Transcribed as Rocky Fortune. Frank Sinatra, who stars as that footloose and frequently unemployed young gentleman, Rocky Fortune. Hi. I don't know what it is about me and employment. We start out together, but sooner or later we reach the fork in the road. Usually sooner. You take last week. The employment agency sent me out on a job as an oyster shucker. But somebody tried to serve me up on a half shell. With a real crazy cocktail sauce. Blood. Pardon me, is this the uh, 50 Fathoms Clam House? Yes. Is there something I can do for you? That's the best offer I've had all day. We'll have a table in a minute. Would you care to look at the menu? What's the menu got that you haven't got there? A price list. If you'll excuse me, I'm busy. Now, wait a minute. Don't get sore. I work here. I'm the new oyster shucker. I'm Rocky Fortune. Well, you'd better go around to the kitchen, Mr. Fortune. Just call me Rocky, huh? And I'll call you two or three times a day. Don't bother. Why not? For one thing, I've got a boyfriend. Now, why would we let a little thing like that come between us? Maybe because he's standing right behind you. Oops. He isn't exactly standing behind me. It's more like all around me. This joker's six foot four, 200 pounds on the hoof, and broad enough to go through the middle of a revolving door. And I can't figure a gorilla like this with this girl. She's a real sweet little girl, like somebody's kid sister. Only she's wearing a knit dress, and she's got a figure that's given the warp and the woof a hard time. I get a glimmer when she introduces me to the bruiser. Mr. Fortune, this is Mr. Barney. He's the manager. All right, Fortune, get back to the kitchen. I'll give you a personal introduction to a barrel of oysters. This way. And Fortune. Yeah. Stay away from Iris. Who says so? I say so. Here's your counter. The shell's in a garbage can. And this is the oyster knife. Right. And just so as we don't misunderstand each other, I'm very serious about Iris. Very serious. Hey, look out with that knife. You understand, Fortune? 
I got an inkling. Now get to work and shut them oysters. It takes me a few minutes to pull the dull-bladed oyster knife two inches out of the table where Big Barney has buried it. About this time, Ferdinand the waiter drifts in the door. Freddy's a little wispy guy who looks like the mechanical rabbit the greyhounds chase at the dog's home. A dozen cherry stones! Hey! Who are you? Rocky Fortune. I'm the new oyster shucker. What happened to Herman? Maybe he got washed out with the tide. Hey, pal, when do I get something to eat here? Didn't you get some supper? No. That Barney. No consideration. Look, I'll fix you something. You know, I've been looking at the menu. How about the swordfish? Uh-uh. No? To my best friend, I wouldn't recommend the swordfish. Not tonight. Yes, sir? Mr. Abenaki's coming in. Excuse me. Hey, Chief! Give me two double strip cocktails, a crab beef salad, lobster gumbo, a bowl of Boston, a bowl of Manhattan, and a bucket of lobsters. What do you got out there? Rotary luncheon? No. Just Mr. Abenaki. <laughs> And that's the first portion of Rocky Fortune, the premiere episode in the series starring Frank Sinatra. We'll have more for you after these uh, words from our sponsor. Let's take a break, and then it's more on Hollywood 360. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All righty, we're back here on Hollywood 360. Lisa and I and Mike Costello, we're uh, playing these classic radio shows for you every week. Six of them. We play six classic radio shows, Lisa. That's a lot of radio shows. We are not stingy with the classic no, radio we, shows. We are. We give them a plenty uh, yes, here so we on do the this show every week. Right? Thanks to you because you're picking them out and you're doing all the work and you clean them up. You do everything, right? You know, right? some people complain. Mike and I we just show up. She hands us a, uh, a script and we're ready yeah, to go. Yeah, I, I try to keep everybody happy. Yeah. You know, a little of this, a little of that. And she doesn't feed her kids or anything, but she will work on this radio and, show and here diligently. I am. That's right. I like that, Lisa. I know you do. Work ethic, Carl. All right. Uh, Frank Sinatra did a lot of work in his you career. Work you know? And uh, we are listening to him on the very first episode of his series, Rocky Fortune. Should we get back to that now? Yes, sir. All right, here is the conclusion to this October 6, 1953 episode called Oyster Shucker on Rocky Fortune. I take a peek through the kitchen door. Mr. Abernathy is sitting on two chairs at once and is still lapping over on all sides. Barney and Ferdinand are hovering around him like a pair of hummingbirds trying to neck with a navy blimp. I make a resolution to quit eating french fried potatoes and go back to unbuttoning oysters and remove their overcoats. It's lovely work, so I strike up a conversation. There's nobody in the pantry but me and the oysters, so I got no choice. You think you've got troubles? Hmm. I'm the one that ought to get stewed. You've got it soft. You don't have to worry what happens if your lady friend decides to clam up. All you got to do is just lay there, that's all. If you want to make an impression on the dame, all you got to do is whip up a pearl. Holy smokes, a real live pearl. It's a real live pearl sitting in the middle of that oyster staring up at me with this one beautiful beady eye. I'm figuring on calling little odds of the book to place a fin on the nose of Pearl Diver in the fifth of Belmont when I open the next oyster. So help me another pearl. 
I haven't had a run of luck like this since I busted up the floating crap game in Doherty's garage. So I leave the stake out and shoot it off. Another oyster. Another pearl. Come on, baby. Papa needs a new necklace. One after another. And every little darling loaded. I'm trembling as I hit number 10, 11, and 12. Big fat pearls in my hot little hand, and all mine. Just to make sure, I stash them away in my pocket quick as Ferdinand the waiter comes in the door. Two dozen special oysters for Mr. Abenaki. Buddy boy, I never could see nothing special about no oysters. It's like eating a clammy handshake. Get them up, and I'll pick them up on the way out. The specials for Mr. Abenaki come out of this barrel. And don't suck them. He likes them open at the table. He says it improves the flavor. Yes, sir, Sergeant. Unfortunately, Barney has forgotten to tell me this, and I've already separated Mr. Abenaki's special oysters from their shells. Now, to me, the difference between a couple of oysters is something that can only interest another oyster. So I fill up a plate from a regular barrel. This, it turns out, is a mistake. Through the doors, I hear Mr. Abenaki sounding off like the bullhorn on a big moat. And Ferdinand comes flying back like a scared pigeon. What's happened? What's happened to the special oysters? Who is responsible for this? Please, Mr. Abenaki. I paid for special oysters shipped in just for me, and what do I get? Call these oysters these miserable, scrawny blobs. What happened to Mr. Abenaki's oysters? You, fortune. Me? What happened to the specials? It was just a little mistake. A mistake. A mistake with my oysters. Please, Mr. Abenaki. Butch, what happened? I opened them first. Nobody told me any different. You hear that? He opened my oysters. All that flavor, gone. Gone forever. What is this, a federal case? You feather-headed idiot. Now, wait you a minute. Stupid, the customers can hear you. Butch, and you lame brain, you apologize to Mr. Abbott. Okay, okay. To him, I'll apologize. But you, you muscle-headed bum. Well, you scrawny knucklehead, I gotta pry you apart like a charter clam. Why don't you put your money where your mouth is? Mr. Barney, I, I'm sure it was an honest mistake. Why don't you give him another chance? You shut up and keep out of this. Hey, who do you think you're talking to? You ought to wash your mouth out with soap before you talk to a lady. Fortune, you're fired. Oh, no. Please, Mr. Barney. You keep out of this. Take him up front and pay him off. I always fishes me a couple of bucks out of the register. And I can see she's a little sorry for me, which makes me feel very pleasant indeed. Here you are, Mr. Fortune. I wish it was more. Oh, well. Easy come, easy go. I just wish I was staying on, though, so I could see you again. It took a lot of courage to stand up to Barney like that. I still have the oyster knife. <laughs> I wish there was something that I could do. How about splitting a steak with me tonight, huh? After all, I just got fired. And I shouldn't be left alone with a knife. Well, I suppose it's all right. Meet you when you get off. Is it a date? All right, Rocky. I'm off at nine. I figure bounced a nut on the head for the day. Twelve pearls and a beautiful girl. This is better than the Daily Double. It's about 8.45 when I head out the back door. It's a very cozy neighborhood. You can sometimes go as far as a block without stumbling over a drunk or being mugged for a pair of clean socks. 
So I'm not too surprised when an arm whips around my neck and I cease breathing until further notice. Don't say a word. Who can talk? This ain't no briar pipe sticking in your back. Okay, okay. And I'm over. Anything in particular? You know what I'm talking about. Hand them over. Now, Mac, this may make me seem a little slow, but I haven't got the slightest idea what you're talking about. The pearls, wise guy, the pearls. You got them. Oh, them. Didn't your mother ever tell you it ain't polite to shortstop? Now pass them over. They're mine. I found them. Okay, okay. Hand them over. Over my dead body. That can be arranged. All right, wise guy. I'll give you a quick five to hand them over. One. Hey, you're kidding, ain't you? Two. Okay, okay. I got them right here. Three. Right here. Hey, hey they're gone. Four. Honest, I put them in his pocket, see? I said four. Look, look, there's a hole in it. Look, I can wiggle my finger through it. Five. If you don't believe me, look for yourself. Yeah. Hey, hold still. I'm ticklish. You're clean, all right. Listen, punk, I'll give you a chance. You got 12 hours to hand those pearls over. But I lost them, honest. You lost them, you find them. Remember, 12 hours or we'll fit you for a brand new satin-lined overcoat with silver handles. And just to show you we ain't kidding... About 20 minutes later, the world slows down to a gentle spiral. Some other bum has rolled me for 38 cents and change, a subway token, and my shoes. I paddle around to the avenue on my bare feet, and I find Iris waiting in front of a drugstore looking like Hurricane Barbara, about to hit the Atlantic coast from Block Island to Cape Hatteras. Rocky, this is not the kind of a neighborhood where a girl likes to wait for... What's the matter? You're limping. I stepped on a live cigar butt. Well, you're barefoot. Where are we going? To a square dance? Look, honey, I'm afraid our date's off. Why? I gotta attend a funeral. Whose? Mine. What are you talking about? There seems to be a difference of opinion about some pearls. I told the guy I found them, but he couldn't see it my way. You found some pearls? Yes. Where? Where else? In an oyster. Twelve of them. You found 12 pearls in one oyster? No, no. One each in a dozen. How's that for luck? Nobody's that lucky. But now I can't find them. I got a hole in my pocket. I must have dropped them. Oh, that's terrible. You don't know the half of it. The guy who just slugged me gave me 12 hours to cough up the pearls or else. A particularly nasty else. Oh. Oh, then we've got to start looking for them. Right now. Right now I've got to look for some shoes. The guy can get athlete's foot this way. into the 50 Fathoms clam house to try to find the pearls. I'm cutting my bare feet to ribbons on broken clam shells. We go through the sawdust in the pantry a spoonful at a time, but we draw a blank. No pearls. Up to now, I've been thinking I'm just lucky. But slowly, I realize I've been playing with marked oysters. I figure the pearls must be hot as a tin roof in August. Rocky, what happens if we don't find them? They might kill you. Yeah. I was thinking that was a possibility, too. Oh. Where else could you have dropped them? Was there anything on the floor, a garbage can or something? Wait a minute. There was. That little barrel that Mr. Abenaki's oysters came in. It was right by this stool. Maybe the pearls dropped in it. But the barrel's gone, too. Of course. They pick it up at night and take it back to the oyster boat. Can you find out which boat? I know. I sign the receipt every day. It's the, it's the Polly B at Pier 22. Oh, Rocky, do you think the pearls could still be in the barrel? Well, I got a hasty feeling I'd better find out. Anyway, if Abenaki's oysters came from that boat, then so do the pearls. Rocky, I'm going with you. Now, look, honey, it's going to be dangerous and dark down on that dock. You'll be there. I know. That's what frightens me. Well, come on. Let's head for Pier 22. And if I don't find the pearls, well, 
At least it's a good place to jump off. I'm still barefoot as we head up the waterfront to Pier 22, but I keep going. I figure it's like a horse. If I pull up lame now, I'm a sense to get shot. Pier 22 looks like the spot where Henry Hudson dropped his anchor on the first trip. There's a crap game going on in the dock office. We wait until somebody makes it four the hard way and slip through in the confusion. The oyster boat is halfway down the pier, and we go aboard. <laughs> Don't chip on them ropes. Isn't that the barrel? Right there? That's it. That's it, all right. I'll tip it up to the light. Empty as a pocket before payday. Oh, Rocky. I wonder where the elephants go to die. Rocky. Rocky, listen. Yeah. Somebody must have broken up the crap game. They're coming this way. Well, what are we going to do? That guy who put the arm on me is with him. You see the guy with no neck? Yeah. Come on, we better hide. Well, where? Down the hatch behind us. I can't jump down there. Not in this bird. In it or out of it. Here you go. Oh. Oh, it's dark down here. Look out. Here I come. Now, keep quiet, baby, and maybe we'll get out of this thing in one piece. All right, let's get going. Hey, cast off the bind. What is it? What's happening? Did you bring your toothbrush? A toothbrush? What for? I can only think of one thing to say at this point. What? Bon voyage. Polly B is definitely not in the Queen Mary class. It's sort of a cross between an oversized shoebox and the Staten Island Ferry. It would probably rock like crazy in a bathtub, and by the time we're through the narrows and into the lower bay, Iris has turned a tasteful tone of green, which unfortunately clashes with her purple dress. Oh, Rocky, I'm afraid I'm going to die. No, you're not. Oh, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not going to die. Oh. Somebody will hear you. I don't care. There's a boy. Moran, the boy! What, what happened? We're stopping. Maybe we hit a red light. The way you man gets the nail on the side. Come on, hurry up. What is it? Oysters? I don't know. I better boost you up so you can sneak a peek. You ready? Mm -hmm. Well? It's a barrel, Rocky. They pulled it in with a net. Rocky, it's got a flag on it. Let me down. I got it now. Just like Prohibition. Someone on an incoming line that dumps the stuff over. And this boat picks it up. Yeah, and delivers it to the 50 Fathoms Clam House. What a way to sneak in pearls inside an oyster. And if some jerk opens one by mistake, he just thinks he's lucky. Can you imagine a guy stupid enough to think he'd really find a pearl in an... Uh, um, you read any good books lately? Rocky, it's... It's a smuggling racket. Baby, you're even smart. That's right. I could kiss you. I have my eyes closed and my mouth puckered when the roof falls in. And I find myself kissing a 30-pound flounder, which is part of a load of fish dumped in on top of us. We're standing up to the neck in fresh-caught ocean fish in season. I pick a herring out of my ears and look around for Iris. And once again, I get that funny feeling. You know, that yearning to take her out of all of this. 
Charlie B. makes it back to the pier at Blue Ribbon Time. When the coast is clear, Iris and I climb out of the fish and shake off the scales. I've got a smelt in my pocket and a certain air about me. Ooh, I can't even stand myself. I think it's invigorating. Uh, Rocky, you know what's clear? You got the pearls by mistake. Yeah, those oysters were meant for Mr. Abernathy. They're delivered specially for him. It must be Rocky. So, what do we do now? Well, honey, as much as I hate disturbing a man at his meal, Mr. Abernathy leaves me no choice. He eats all day. However, there's a limit to how long a dame can wander through town with seaweed in her hair and a strong suspicion that barnacles have set in. So Iris heads up to her apartment to change. I figure I might as well head over to the clam house to do a little digging on my own. It's midnight now, and Ferdinand's in the kitchen when I get there. Hey, what's happened? You jumped off the ferry? Never mind. Listen, has Abenaki still got his nose in a feed bag? He's on his demitas. Demitas? Yes, he has to watch his weight. Look, Ferdinand, about those special oysters. Mr. Abenaki never has them open in the kitchen, right? Right. He's a very particular man. He wants to make sure all the flavor is locked in. I'll bet he does. Ferdinand, this may come as a shock to you, but something tells me Mr. Abenaki is playing push in the corner with the United States Customs. Not to mention the cops from the country where the stuff was originally heisted. The stuff? The pearls. I found a dozen of them in his oysters. I can't figure out where they went to, though. You lost them? Yeah, to a hole in my pocket. I was leaning over the counter right here. Now, they could have rolled along, but I I didn't find them on the floor. They should have dropped right down here like... Hmm. Who put that bowl of soup on the stool? I did. That's Mr. Abenaki's oyster stew. I always leave it there till he's ready for it. You do? Yes. Did Mr. Abenaki have oyster stew tonight? Sure. He has a couple of bowls with each meal. Ferdinand, I gotta make some phone calls to the cops for a squad car in the Bellevue Hospital for a stomach pump. You mean Mr. Abenaki is a smuggler? Somebody around here is, and he looks like it. I'll let the cops nail it down. Well, that's too bad, isn't it? About Abenaki, why? He deserves what he's got coming to him. Yes, but I'm afraid you don't. Now, please put up your hands, Mr. Fortune. You see, we wouldn't want the police around. The clam house has to think of its reputation. But your gun is loaded. Barney! Sure, boss. Take this gun and keep him covered. With pleasure. Then it's you. I suppose it is. Barney, uh, could Captain Duran arrange a special trip on the Polly B? <laughs> Easy. Well, uh, we'll have to be careful where we drop you. It wouldn't do to spoil the oyster bed. Mr. Abenaki wouldn't like it. Couldn't you just maroon me on a desert island? Please, Mr. Fortune, be practical. Now, we're going out through the kitchen door. Barney, you go first. Sure thing, boss. Coast is clear. Barney, Barney, what happened? Probably this. Rocky? Rocky, you all right? Sure, how's Barney? Oh, he's out cold. What did you hit him with? A frozen chowder. You know, it was Ferdinand all the time? The waiter? Sure, he got to the oysters before Abenaki. That reminds me. Where are you going? To call the cops. I got to tend to something. Yeah? Can I help you? Mr. Abenaki, you had an oyster stew earlier this evening. Uh, I did. Uh, please pass the ketchup. Look, I, I don't want to disturb you, but there were a dozen pearls in that stew. Oh? I thought the oysters were somewhat gritty. Now, we've got to get those pearls back wherever they are. Is that all? You've got them. I, I suppose I have. In the midsection. More or less. I'm going to send for a stomach pump right away. Oh, oh that won't be necessary. I, I have them in my vest pocket. Uh, yeah. Are these the pearls? You mean you didn't eat them? Goodness, no. I almost lost a filling on the first one, though. I thought I was just lucky. 
You're sure these pearls belong to you? I'm positive, Mr. Abernathy. Well, if they're yours, take them by all means. Oh, and, uh, young man. Yeah? Ask somebody to bring me another piece of pie. Somebody else gets the pie. Me? I'm in the mood to relax. The Rover boys are safe in the walk-in refrigerator. The 12 pearls have come home to Papa. And I'm alone with Iris, who's wearing a flannel skirt and a little boy's shirt. Which never looks like that on no little boy. Well, Rocky? Honey, I think maybe you saved my life. Would you like to claim a little reward? What kind of reward? A come here. Uh-uh. Closer. Uh-uh. Baby, I've got something for you. Here. The pearls. Well, honey. Mm-hmm. I've got something for you. Yeah? What? A property receipt from the U.S. Customs Department. You. You. You're a... Cop. Good night, Rocky. Good night. Frank Sinatra as that footloose and fancy-free young man known as Rocky Fortune. Others in the cast included Lynn Allen, Jack Crucian, Jack Nestle, Lou Merrill, and William Orner. Andrew C. Love directed. Eddie King speaking. Next week, then, tune in again when Frank Sinatra returns as Rocky Fortune. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. And that's Rocky Fortune, the very first episode in the series going back to October 6, 1953, with the Oyster Shucker starring Frank Sinatra as heard on NBC. Hope you enjoy that. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Well, Lisa, you know what we have in our next hour of Hollywood 360? You're going to tell me, though. I will, if you're very nice. Okay. We're going to tune in to Gangbusters, which was true crime stories dramatized from the files of the FBI. They're closed stories. And J. Edgar Hoover, who ran the FBI, allowed it to be. And he sort of oversaw the show. It was a very popular program called Gangbusters. We have that for you then. It's a comedy episode of Duffy's Tavern, one of the funniest series on radio. And Fred Allen is uh, Ed Archie Gardner's guest on that. So stay with us here, and uh, we have another hour of Hollywood 360 coming your way.